Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Please visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. 
Go pick out your new incubator at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Beach. We have a, a great show lined up for you today. Um, yesterday, um, we made the announcement on our Facebook page and other social media outlets that unfortunately... Uh, there has been another uh, salmonella outbreak in the United States, uh, kind of linked back to uh, backyard poultry, uh, I think baby chicks and ducklings uh, to be exact. And so um, we've got uh, Dr. Uh, Megan Nichols here with us today from the CDC. She's going to be uh, giving us an overview uh, of the outbreak, giving us some details about that. And then uh, after that first segment, then we're going to welcome uh, poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, PhD. She's going to be here talking about the ins and outs uh, of salmonella regarding our uh, backyard flocks. And then, I know what you're all waiting for, at the very end of the show today, we will be calling the winner of the June Ultimate Chicken Coop Contest. Yeah, we had a contest in June sponsored by Snaplock Chicken Coop. And uh, it's a really great coop. It's their larger model that they do offer. And today we're going to be calling the winner at the end of the show. And uh, they may or may not answer. You know, we've been doing this show for about seven years now, and, and sometimes <laughs> they'll answer if they're available, and sometimes they won't. So, But uh, if they do, that's always fun. If not, they still win the group. <laughs> and uh, so no worries there. We'll just contact them uh, off the air via cell phone, uh, email, and different things like, like that. So, so no worries. But um, without further ado, I definitely want to go over here to the phone lines and, and get started with the first topic today, uh, which, um, which again, I, in fact, uh, probably about a month ago, I reached out to uh, my contacts at CDC uh, and said, well, I, I'm guessing since we haven't heard anything that it's safe to assume, which it wasn't, um, that there have not been any outbreaks as the years passed with uh, backyard poultry and the uh, and baby chicks and, and ducklings. and I uh, got a response, you know, not so fast. Uh, you know, the, the verdict's still out here, and they were doing all of their uh, tracebacks and studies and things. And so, um, 
uh, it was just uh, announced yesterday on the CDC website. And we're going to bring on right now um, Dr. Megan Nichols with the CDC. I'm going to let her tell us her credentials and her position there at CDC and then kind of give us an overview uh, of this current outbreak, number of um, ill, number of hospitalizations, what strain uh, of salmonella we were talking about here, um, and then uh, maybe some, some CDC advice on how to protect ourselves. That's always a good thing uh, from this uh, um, disease that we do don't definitely don't want to get. So um, let me go ahead and go to the phone lines. And uh, Dr. Nichols, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, unfortunately, this kind of has reared its ugly head again this year. Last year's outbreak is still quite fresh in a lot of our minds. Um, and uh, we were kind of, because normally, you know, you look at Easter, big time, people going to the feeding stores and, and buying the baby chicks. It's a hot time every spring for either adding to their flock or starting for the first time. And, and uh, so we knew even last year, talking with CDC, and USDA that a few weeks after Easter is kind of the, the wait and see time. And I just assumed, which is never good, that since uh, we're a couple of months uh, past that, that we may be uh, uh, in, in the safe zone. But apparently that's not the case. So if you would, for our listeners, first tell us a little bit about yourself, your credentials, and your position there at CDC. Absolutely. So I'm actually originally from New Mexico in a really, really tiny rural area. Um, I grew up in a ranch-type um, background, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, Farm to Table and a lot of the initiatives that you have here on the show. I actually went to veterinary school at Colorado State University and then followed up by getting a master's in public health. And the way I like to frame it here is that my job is to look at some of the enteric or, or stomach bugs um, that are transmitted between animals and people. And so the good news is, is there's a lot of things that we can do to prevent that from happening. And so I'm really excited today to be here to talk a little bit specifically about backyard poultry and, and what those backyard poultry owners and keepers can do to keep themselves safe and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we definitely want to hear all about that as well. I think we uh, we try to share that message as, as much as we can. We'll definitely get to that here in just a second because I think um, while a lot of people just kind of um, uh, brush it off by saying, oh, just wash your hands, everything will be fine. And I think that is a big step uh, regarding prevention, but I know there's more to it than just, oh, just wash your hands and none of this will ever happen. So um, if you can, um, while we do have you here for the short period of time, kind of give us an overview uh, of, I know folks uh, can go to the cdc.gov website and take a look at the bulletin that was released yesterday. And, of course, you can go to our Facebook page, Chicken Whisper Facebook page. We have it there posted, uh, and you can click on that link and, and get a lot of this information about the current outbreak now. But if you can elaborate on some of that, that would be very helpful. Sure. So what we're seeing this year is actually four separate strains of the bug or the bacteria salmonella that are causing these these outbreaks. So there appear to be four outbreaks. Um, overall, in total, the outbreaks have affected 181 people in 40 different states. And about 33 folks who have gotten this bug have been hospitalized. And I'm happy to report that no one has died from these illnesses because especially in young children and older adults and those with 
um, a compromised immune system, you can sometimes see pretty severe infections. So the strains of Salmonella that are causing these four different outbreaks are Salmonella enteritidis, Salmonella indiana, Salmonella hadar, and Salmonella munchen. And so we're seeing people who are sick with um, one of these four different strains of Salmonella. And these people usually go to their doctors. The doctors might test them. And then we use a, a system here to kind of look at the type of bug that's causing the infection and find out if there are people in multiple areas who maybe have the same strain of the bug and then also had a similar exposure. And when we interview these ill people, we're finding out that um, a predominant proportion of them have had contact with live poultry in a variety of different settings. So unfortunately, although the outbreak isn't quite as big as we saw last year, which is encouraging, we are still seeing some folks who are getting sick. Okay. And and for those, because this was mentioned yesterday, because uh, I'm reading it right here, 82 of the 95 ill people who were interviewed reported contact with live poultry the week before their illness began. These folks that are, as it says here, interviewed by uh, somebody who's taking all this information in so we can track this and make some, uh, I guess, some common denominator here. So someone had mentioned yesterday on the Facebook page, uh, all these, you know, is this a coincidence? Could all of these people just uh, got it from, from lettuce or something like that, and they just happen to have poultry? But, um, you know, I'm going in here assume I'm not a scientist, that, uh, and I, I shared with them that that's probably not the case because I'm sure they – they dot their eyes across these and ask these questions to really figure out exactly where this is coming from, correct? Absolutely, and I really appreciate that kind of a question. I think it's always important to ask, you know, where is, where is this coming from? And I think one of the reasons we know that it seems to be coming from these live poultry is not only that um, the people we interview describe having contact with poultry, it's also that we find this exact same strain of the bacteria in the chickens and sometimes even in, in the boxes in which the chickens were mailed. Um, sometimes we even find it on the farm where the chickens were raised or at the hatchery level. So that's part of our what we call our traceback investigation. And so that's something that we're working on in this case. And we have, we have found it in the birds. We haven't found it um, at a particular hatchery as of yet. But we're doing due diligence to work with a lot of the hatcheries and, and make sure that everyone's doing their part to try and decrease the amount or the burden of salmonella that's in these hatchery environments. And that, that's a great lead into my uh, next question is I know reading through the highlights, uh, no hatchery has been named yet. Y'all are still doing tracebacks, uh, as you were telling me offline, um, to try to determine that. You just shared with us we're, we're we haven't, uh, you're still trying to identify maybe the hatchery where these birds come from. But you go at the beginning, you were saying four separate outbreaks. So based on that, because I know last year, I'm thinking back to last year's outbreak, there were two different types of salmonella, but it was still, from what I understand, coming from one hatchery. Uh, mm -hmm. Knowing with these four different strains of the salmonella that y'all found, um, no link yet to any hatchery. And y'all, what, what's, um, how do y'all identify this as four separate outbreaks? Because there's four different different types of salmonella, and because of that, do you think there may be more than one or two hatcheries? Maybe four hatcheries or two hatcheries. Uh, that may be um, involved with this? 
That's exactly the case, Andy. So one of the things we're certainly doing in this traceback procedure is looking at where people purchased the chicks or obtained the chicks, and then what hatcheries are maybe supplying the distributors or the stores where the customers are buying them. And so when we look at that, and when we look at the map of where these people live, we are finding quite a few um, differences in the geographical spread. And so when we look at that and look at where, where the hatcheries are located in relation to that, we actually think that there probably is more than one hatchery in this case that are, that are supplying these birds, and that may be why we're seeing some of these different serotypes. In the future, we might find out that um, you know maybe it's it's one hatchery, maybe it's two, but at least at this point, the evidence indicates that it is more than one hatchery. So these birds aren't okay. necessarily all coming from the same exact place. Um, we're finding different strains, potentially different hatcheries. It looks like from the map that I'm looking at here, uh, the um, uh, the case count map, that the more as far as per state, uh, there are higher numbers of people infected um, on the East Coast. And is that just due to population, or do we feel that maybe, um, well, hatchery ship all over the country, uh, but, but is there any um, scientific reason for that other than maybe just population or just more people ordered in that area, or maybe the hatchery is in, in on the on the eastern side of the United States, so they're shipping more to that area. So, because I'm looking at the map here, just looks like more in the eastern, and even the highest right now is Alabama and and Mississippi is up there uh, as well. So, is there any yeah. any um relevance to that? Yeah, I think that you you pretty much mentioned a lot of the factors. I think we see a lot of geographical variation in where people own um, backyard poultry or raise poultry. So that I, I think that accounts for one of the one of the reasons. The other is certainly population. I think we might see um, more populated areas in in on the east side of the country, um, and then also distribution. I think that um, depending on on where these hatcheries are actually sending chicks, some hatcheries distribute more to one area of the country than others. So I think that that's also a factor and and something that we're certainly looking back as back back at as we conduct our investigation. Okay. Let's talk about, uh, and, and before you leave, I'll bring on Dr. McCray, too, because she, she had just uh, called in. She's on hold, and she may have a question that I'm just not thinking of in my brain that may be re relevant. Um, but let's talk about, as I want to share with this with our listeners, very important, um, what folks can do to limit the risk uh, and protect themselves from these strains uh, of salmonella from, because, again, it's, um, a lot of people just, again, they just brush it off and say, oh, just wash your hands and everything will be okay. And I think, obviously, we all agree that that's a big step. Um, but I'm sure there are some others that we can do to limit our risks of getting the, the salmonella if, in fact, the birds that they've ordered uh, have it, carrying it, and came from these hatcheries uh, where, where the case is, uh, where, where y'all may end up finding the birds came from. So what, what are some things uh, the backyard um chicken hobbyists can do to protect themselves? Well, washing hands is certainly something that's very important, but you're right. It's certainly not the only thing that can be done. So we advocate for thoroughly washing hands with soap and water, especially after you touch live poultry or anything where they live or they roam. And if there's young children who are involved in raising the poultry, we really hope that parents or any other adults supervise those hand washing practices. And if soap and water aren't readily available, folks can use hand sanitizers until they're able to wash their hands. 
Um, one of the things that I know that I've, en I've encountered with um, some of my family and friends are when they are new to raising poultry is oftentimes they'll bring poultry inside the house. And so that's certainly not something we recommend because um, even though the chickens look healthy, sometimes they do have salmonella in their feces. And if you're bringing them in your house, you may be bringing the salmonella in there with you. Um, because um, children under the age of five and older adults or people with weakened immune systems are at risk for the most severe types of these infections, we recommend that they not handle or touch the ducklings or chicks, um, and that's really to protect them and their health. And then lastly, um, chickens usually, I don't, I don't know about your experience, but oftentimes I find that they shy away from being snuggled or kissed, and so we really do not recommend that folks kiss or touch the birds to their mouth. And then lastly, um, if you're cleaning any equipment, we really recommend that you do not do that in an area where food is prepared or served. So you should never wash your poultry um, dishes, containers, feed um, or water um, type dishes in the same place where you wash your human food dishes. And I think that by following these types of precautions, you can really help protect yourself and your family from getting these bugs and still enjoy your poultry. Yeah, I think that's key. Again, everything you mentioned, I think for most folks is, is common sense. We completely try to keep it realistic. We understand that, you know, the, the tiny little chicks, they're cute, and, and, and people post pictures of them, you know, cuddling them and kissing them and things like that. And it's, uh, it's, it's even stated over on your website that a lot of these folks that have been infected uh, had it admitted an interview of, bringing them inside, kissing on them, cuddling them, holding them, and um, uh, and that. But it leads me to another question, which I think is, is very important. When when you have your staff out there interviewing these folks, and you, you may have the answer to this, it would be great. Um, for this outbreak, last year's outbreak, I, I don't think I've asked this last, last year, but um, are you, do you gather any information about is this the first time you've bought or purchased or have had backyard poultry? I mean, are you newbies at this? Are you new chicken owners where um, they haven't maybe done a lot of research in the beginning like they should have? They haven't become for, familiar with salmonella and the risk, or they could even have salmonella. So is there any census taken on our question asked with these folks that have been infected? Is this the first time you've ever owned poultry versus maybe a more experienced keeper that, that has been educated on salmonella. They've been in it long enough to at least hear it, and biosecurity and things like that. Absolutely. So the questions vary a little bit between the different states that do the interviews of these cases. So each state usually will interview their own um, residents. And we do ask about salmonella awareness. So are you aware that um, poultry do carry salmonella? And we see a lot of variation in those responses. I can say that one of the things that surprised myself and my colleagues um, this, this season was particularly around Easter. We had a lot of photographers that were using live chicks and ducklings as um, almost, almost props in, in photo shoots, and they were putting them around newborn infants and others. And so we had a lot of really, really young infants who, you know, they don't necessarily consume a lot of the foods or drink the same type of beverages that a lot of adults do. 
And when we asked about contact with poultry, we'd find that toddlers were apt to, you know, squeeze the, the poultry mm-hmm. um, or that the poultry in these photo shoots were being placed in close proximity to these really, really young infants. And, and you know, I can imagine that some of the, the bright lights and flashes from the um, cameras can kind of spook some of the poultry and cause them to poop. And so we did see quite a few um, young children involved in this outbreak, and that was one situation we thought of. And in talking with those parents and also those photographers, I don't think they were really aware that this could potentially be be a risk. So it's something yep. for, for folks to always think about when they're in any environment where live poultry are, are present. And I think in that case, you know, maybe, maybe a cute little stuffed animal um, <laughs> rather than an actual live Chick or duckling. Yep. And, and those of us who've had had uh, poultry know that regardless whether it's a, a flash from a camera or not, they poop and they poop a lot. Yes. <laughs> so, so we know that camera or not, they're pooping a lot. But yeah, every year we post on our Facebook page. You know, um, uh, we have a picture of a baby chick. You know, I am not a Easter basket surprise. I am a commitment, and then go through like twelve things. That, yeah. Uh, educate folks about this. And, you know, one of them is I poop a lot and I need proper <laughs> care and things like that. So um, I know you've got to run. Let me um, go over here to the phone lines and I'll bring uh, Dr. McCray on here. And she's going to, once um, we say goodbye to you, she'll, we're going to get into the details of salmonella and, and different things like that. But um, in case I just had, you know, brain's not working or had maybe there was a question after the fact, you know, how it always is. Oh, I should have asked this or, oh, I should have asked that. So, Dr. McCray, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely, loud and clear. Um, I'm sure once uh, <laughs> I tell uh, Dr. Nichols goodbye, I'll think, oh, I should have asked that or, oh, I should have asked this. So, Well, uh, I do have a question for her if she's still on. I sure am. And oh, great. How's the weather? Are you in Delaware at the moment? How's it's the weather? rainy. Okay. It's actually warmer in my office than it is outside, though. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um. Dr. Nichols, thank you for joining us and providing such a a wealth of information. Uh, When do you think you might have a report to share with everyone? Uh, By the end of the year, maybe sooner? You know, hopefully sooner. I think one of the things that will determine when we wrap this up is um, how long we, we keep seeing these cases. So um, my colleagues and I here at CDC are really hopeful that folks take these precautions and really implement them and take them to heart because the sooner that happens, I think the sooner we'll see an end to this outbreak. So um, as soon as the outbreak wraps up, I think that's that's when we'll be putting forth the report, and I certainly hope it's it's long before the end of the year. Now, Andy, you might be able to answer this. Did we get a report after last year's incidences, or did we I think just... In- in either August or September, uh, I did post a bulletin that was shared with me from CDC. Okay. Uh, that, and I forget the way they, uh, um, they, I forget the term, but it says we uh, deem, and, and uh, Dr. Nichols can, can elaborate, we deem that this outbreak has now ended. And I don't know what qualifies that, but we did, and then it had, you know, all the final stats of how many sick, how many uh, and hospitalizations, no deaths, things like that, and and other information. I think that was about August or September when that finally came out to where, hey, we feel this outbreak has ended. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, Dr. Nichols? Yes, absolutely. So um, essentially our report is our what we call our final web posting. And so once, you know, we see salmonella that kind of goes along in the background um, throughout the year. So we say that once 
the levels associated levels of salmonella, this germ associated with these outbreaks and these particular strains of this germ um, go back down to what they were prior to this outbreak, then we usually believe that this is over. We're always doing surveillance. We're always keeping an eye out with our state and local public health partners and also our partners in the um, agricultural and, and industry. Um, so we're, we're hoping that that happens, and at that point, there will be a final web posting available to the public and to others on our website. Super. Wonderful. Great. I do have uh, one more question for you, and it may it may take a moment for you to answer. Um, knowing that you have four different strains potentially coming from up to four different hatcheries, maybe more, who knows, uh, will you be looking further than that to see if the breeder flocks are supplying chicks to more than one hatchery? Do you do tracebacks that far back or do you let or do you work with NPIP National Poultry Improvement Plan to do that kind of work? Absolutely. We always are looking to collaborate with the state representatives for NPIP. So if a hatchery is located in a particular state, we'll encourage um, kind of working in that traceback route with our NPIP colleagues, with any of our agricultural partners in the state, and also with the hatchery owners or hatchery managers. And I think sometimes it, it varies. Um, when we do go back to the hatcheries, we will ask about any changes in management practices over the past year. Um, have they been doing voluntary salmonella monitoring? And if so, have they seen any of the strains come up in their own testing? Um, that are associated with this outbreak. And then we'll also ask about um, practices such as drop shipping or trans shipping, and then where they obtained their breeding flock or their, their eggs from, and if there's been any changes associated with that. Um, I think that oftentimes it is extremely difficult to really get back to that root cause given how complex the industry is and, and the um, operations that these hatcheries are, but it's something that we're certainly trying to do every single year, and I think that the more information we have, um, the more information we'll have available in the future to hopefully try and prevent some of these outbreaks and some of these people getting sick. And the folks that are getting sick, are they this year from this particular series of outbreaks, uh, are they getting sick from home flocks that are adult birds, or is this chicks mostly, or ducklings, if it's mostly ducklings? You know, it really varies. So it, it varies by the strain. We're seeing a preponderance of um, salmonella mention where folks are, are um, having exposure to ducklings versus chicks. Um, some folks actually have backyard flocks and others were exposed at either the home of a friend or a relative. Um, so really, we haven't necessarily noticed a, a pattern or a trend with respect to the age of the poultry or the type of the poultry. It's kind of spread across the gamut, and I think that's one of the reasons that we say um, when you have contact with poultry, regardless of the type or the age, we really recommend hand washing. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And, and, thank and you. Last, yeah, yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. And one last question, because I know this was kind of a, an issue last year, and then I'm going to promise I'll let you go. Uh, with these four different strains, we know there can be over 2,000 different types of salmonella. With these four, I know last year with the outbreak, I, forget, I don't remember which, which strains they were, but our, um, there was one or two or one of them that it was just, it was not new, but it's like we just don't see this a lot in, in poultry, this particular 
um, type of salmonella or any of the four this year uh, raising eyebrows like you know, we don't see this much in backyard poultry or these the four that you mentioned more of a, a I want to say common but not not surprising or this okay yeah these are um, seen more in poultry than like maybe the one last year that was not. Yeah. Well, Salmonella enteritidis, which is one of the four types that we're seeing, is by far one of the more common strains that we do see, not only in poultry, but also just here in the U.S. in general. So we do have quite a few of those. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, another one of the four is Salmonella indiana. And that's something that is very rare. It's not something that we have seen before in our poultry-associated outbreaks. And so when it popped up and it, it really started um, increasing in the number of people who were affected by this particular strain, we knew that there was something going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. No, thanks for that. I'm glad I asked that to, to know that, that this year may be um, kind of the same case with, with four different strains. So, hey, I'm going to let you go finally. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today and, and giving us an overview of the current outbreak. I know you'll keep me um, informed of, of any you know, additional information and any updates and when, 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 if and when it's tracked back to uh, the hatcheries, we we can share that as well. And of course, we'll keep sharing what uh, things that people can do to um, protect themselves and things that do to to try to prevent this from infecting their family. So, uh, Dr. Nichols with the CDC, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it, and um, thank you to all your fans who are listening today. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Alrighty, so glad to have her on, and uh, when we come back after this short break, we're going to be talking with poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McCray, a PhD up at Delaware State University, and uh, she's going to, we're going to kind of get into the ins and outs of, of salmonella, and um, because I know a lot, yesterday I posted in, in a lot of cases, uh, the birds uh, who are sick show no signs or symptoms, appear perfectly healthy, but they'll be shedding it, uh, they don't, you know, testing is marginal at best because they don't shed it all the time. So the day you test, uh, they may not be shedding it, and then they shed it next week. So all these things we'll talk to Dr. McCray about. When we come back, Dr. McCray, just so you can prepare, I know that she had extensive work in salmonella uh, back when she was getting her master's and her PhD, I think, uh, at UC Davis. But um, So uh, we'll let her give us her background about how she knows so much about salmonella. So I'm glad to have both of these guests on. Today. And we'll be back right after this short break with more information. And at the end of the show, we'll be calling the Coop winner uh, live. So great show today. Stay with us. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brincy.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. Technology you can trust.
You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Come back. Come back. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry uh, with the Chicken Whisper brought to you by Combox Eve. And uh, let's head over to the phone lines here. We'll bring on um, uh, Dr. McRae. And uh, thank you for joining us today as well. Let's talk about salmonella first. Uh, tell us, uh, and you're, you've been on for like three years, but in case we have new listeners today uh, due to the current outbreak and um, the post and, and people, hey, I need to tune in today, first-time listener, um, Dr. McRae's been coming on probably for four or five years now, uh, the second, uh, actually the first and third, I think, Thursday of every single month. And uh, so tell us a little bit about your credentials and, and your salmonella background because I know it's impressive and that's one reason why I invited you on today as well. (laughs) Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, Did my master's degree and my PhD with bacteria. Yes, salmonella was one of them, but I also looked at Campylobacter and with my PhD I threw a little E. coli in there too. But salmonella (laughs) has uh, has been part of my my research for many, many years. I find it a very interesting bacteria, and it has a wide range of hosts, a wide wide array of ways to get into humans and other animals. Uh, so when uh, people start talking about, how did I get sick? Well, I'm one of those curious people who likes to go, well, it could have come from here, it could have come from there, here, there, here, there. <laughs> and... I know working on my 
master's degree, my my advisor said you need to do a full. If you're going to work with salmonella and you're going to work with Campylobacter, you have to understand where it can come from. And she made me read hundreds of papers, journal articles about where salmonella can hide in hatcheries, in breeder flocks, in feed mills, in uh, poultry processing plants, and in the flocks themselves that people are raising, whether it be for meat or for eggs or for fun. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that salmonella can get into the human. And you went the extra mile. Because I, I believe you yeah, I got, got sick from it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about firsthand experience. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel good, folks. I can attest to it, and um, man, it'll run you down quick. So, um, none of these foodborne pathogens feel good when you get you know the 24-hour flu. Well, sometimes salmonella is a little bit longer than 24 hours. It's uh, yeah, it's. And that's where I, I found it very interesting, number one, that they were going to let me get my degree in this sort of thing, and it was still poultry-related. And I had, as a child, had enough bouts with the 24-hour flu that I must have come across one of these bugs at some point and survived it, so there was personal relevance there. As I'm sure some of your listeners can attest to, the 24-hour flu is something that we do try to prevent in people because... Honestly, it takes a lot of money to um, to diagnose it. You you have to seek doctor's treatment. That's money out of your pocket. Even in the littlest amounts, that's still money out of your pocket. More than anything, your health is at risk, and that's time away from work, so it affects your employers too. So if you look at the big picture, Andy, and that's what Dr. Nichols and McNichols and and all the other researchers out there learn is that there is a bigger picture here, and and that's why we want people to learn how to keep yourselves healthy. Um, You don't want to make other people sick, too. If you're cooking for others, if you're the the main caregiver of the family, you don't want to make anybody else sick. If you're having a dinner party, you don't want to make anybody else sick. They'll never come back. (laughs) And so there are some very easy ways to avoid getting sick, um, one of the very first things, and here we go, it's 4th of July weekend, Andy. What's just about everybody going to be doing this weekend? Grilling out, making sure you want to cook that food uh, thoroughly. Right. So there are several things you could do wrong, and we'll kind of go through this. Um, I, I've been thinking about this because I've been thinking about starting a new 4-H project a 4-H um, project related to barbecuing, but just thinking it through, you want to make sure that you do not temperature abuse the food. So if you're picking up your supplies today or tomorrow in preparation for 4th of July, make sure you take your, your eggs or your meat out of the refrigerated section at the supermarket last. And get it home quick. Don't let it sit in the car for an hour and a half while you run to this, that, and the other place. And don't forget to hit the bank because, you know, you've got this, that, or the other thing you got to take care of. Make sure that you pick up your meat last in your routine 
when you go to the grocery store and you get that meat home and into refrigeration as quickly as possible. If your meat is frozen, you don't want to just let it sit out on the countertop. Um, letting it thaw at room temperatures is a way to uh, very quickly overwhelm the meat product uh, with foodborne pathogens if they are there. Now that's the big question, Andy. Can you just look at a slab of meat and say, I see salmonella? No, you can't. So you just assume it's there and act accordingly because you don't know if it's there and you just have to take precautions. You can kind of like thaw. even handling... Someone I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, someone had mentioned on the show before, people, it seems like they, they think about when they have the raw chicken on the counter, they're cutting it up or preparing it, they think this is raw chicken, I need to wash my hands afterwards. Well, somebody had mentioned on the show one time, well, the chickens in your backyard, guess what? They're raw too. <laughs> they're one, yeah. they're alive, wandering around. And but sometimes, but but people, they're cute and cuddly, and you want to hold them and kiss them and whatnot. But you're not going to pick up that raw chicken on the counter and, and kiss that. No. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, but people will go out and they'll cuddle and, and kiss. They're, they're just like with live birds in your backyard. They may be shedding the salmonella, but be and appear perfectly healthy to you and show no signs or symptoms. So that was kind of my, my point there that when, we're, when we have the raw chicken on the counter, it's almost a different thought process than when we're outside of our coop with our live right. raw chickens. <laughs> now, if you would tell your kids, you play with the dog, go wash your hands, tell them the same thing with every other pet in the house. Oh, you pet the cat, go wash your hands. Oh, you pet the chicken, go wash your hands. Same thing. You were with the baby chicks, go wash your hands. And we all know the risk with the CDC saying less than five years old is because I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I don't care how many times you say that, uh, you turn your head, and boom, their hands are in their mouth, just mm-hmm. like that. Uh, just like that, hands are in the mouth, hands are in the mouth. You know you've told them ten times. Um, and I'll share this. I think I shared it on a previous show. My wife being a kindergarten teacher for a decade, the first week of school, uh, she puts some glitter on her hand, and then throughout the day, at the end of the day, she says, okay, let's look around and find out where we have glitter. And that's yeah. how germs spread and, you know, shaking hands on the day. You'd be amazed at, from, from her having glitter at 8 a.m. that morning, where the glitter is all over that room by 3 p.m. that afternoon on the kids, on the desks, on the tables. So, uh, you know, wash those hands. And parents, there's a very simple kit that you can get called Glitter Bug where you can uh, just take a black light after you put the, the Glitter Bug either as a powder on something or as a uh, like a lotion, what it has is a little bit of reflective UV um, stuff in it. And what you could do is very easily, um, since it's it's safe, you could sprinkle some of that powder down in the litter in the brooder box, and then at the end of a day, count how many different surfaces are then covered with that powder just from the dust that the the chicks kick up or, you know, the door handles that the kids handle going in and out of the room where the chicks are. Is it all over the water? Is it on the feeder? Is it on the, you know, whatever surfaces you're likely to come in contact with and use that as a teachable moment for your, your youngsters who are old enough to understand 
and even the adults in the house. You can say, look, I put this down at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's 5 o'clock at night. Let's count the number of services that now glow. And I I think people would be surprised. I know last year during the outbreak we had many experts on, including Dr. Patisky from UC Davis. I believe he was the one that talked about um, salmonella being able to travel on dust particles. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So so, so our, our awesome listeners and fans had amazing questions like, well, what about the feed bags at the store? If it's chick days and these chicks are in the brooder, yeah, we know how dusty they can be. What about the, the the feed bags I just picked up next to the the um uh, the the brooder bin at the at the feed store? That well, there you go. It can, can tra- travel on the, on dust, so that may be a. a See, Andy, your yeah. listeners are such critical thinkers now. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Versus back when you started, I doubt anybody was making them think about these things as critically as as they do now. So going back to the fourth of July and salmonella and you know, don't temperature abuse your, your meat products. You know, let them thaw either in in warm running water or you can thaw things in the refrigerator where it's still cool enough to, to keep pathogen numbers at bay. Uh other things you can do are don't cross contaminate in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Obvious things. You're going to put your meat on a plate and take it outside and use a pair of tongs to put it on the grill. You have now contaminated that plate and that pair of tongs. So you might need a separate pair of tongs for when you're turning your meat or you might recontaminate your meat. So you've got your raw tongs and your cooked tongs. Make them two different colors. Keep them simple. Write the word raw and raw. Yeah. write the word cooked right on there. And, I of course, you don't want to put your cooked meat back on the plate that carried the raw meat. So I've hey, had I to remember stop that was students doing that. When I was a little part of my job, when Dad was grilling out, I'd take that plate back to the kitchen for Mom to wash, wash it well before I brought it back out to put the finished product on. Yep, absolutely. Right. And then, of course, inside the kitchen, you don't want to put any raw foods onto a surface where you have just had raw meat or poultry or fish. So the cutting board, the knife that you used for cutting something up, um, you know, you might want to just have two separate cutting boards or take the moment before you forget before somebody comes up and distracts you, immediately wash that cutting board or surface that had the raw meat on it with warm, soapy water, if not hot, soapy water. I know it's hot outside, but, you know, we want we want to make it unhappy for bacteria when it comes to living at your house. And, of course, um, cook your food. You want to cook your poultry to an internal temperature of 165 degrees Fahrenheit. And that way you will know that your chicken or your turkey is done. Whether people are out there making hamburgers, chicken burgers, turkey burgers, cooking up a whole chicken, you want to put a meat thermometer into the thickest part of the meat. And for a whole 
chicken, that would be the breast. Um, if you're just cooking legs, you want to put it in the thicker part of the thigh. You don't want to touch bone. Um, so you're going to just slide it parallel to the bone, get it in there, and then see what the temperature goes up to. And um, keeping in mind that uh, you don't want to pull that meat off the grill until it's reached that internal temperature. And so 160 Five degrees Fahrenheit is where you want to be. Uh, for those who are not grilling this weekend, you may have questions about, okay, I've got family coming over. I'm worried about avian influenza, or I don't know if my flock has salmonella, or if their flock has salmonella, if they have chickens or birds of any kind. Put a foot bath out. Ask them not to go in with your poultry. Maybe they only need to take a look at them from outside, or maybe they don't even, you know, have them go play in the pool or go do something else rather than go hang out with the chickens. Um, for for those who are going on vacation this, this weekend, you might have a, a pet sitter. If they're taking care of multiple flocks, or taking care of somebody with a pet bird, like a parrot, as well as your flock. You want to provide them with a pair of coveralls, boots, foot bath, and a hat, so that they don't take anything from that other flock and bring it to yours, and vice versa. And everybody knows there's new people all the time getting started with poultry, and once they start to learn the ins and outs of this business of salmonella, well, they will start to consider all those biosecurity steps that I just mentioned and how important they really are. Because once your flock has salmonella, it is almost impossible to get rid of it. And like you said, Andy, shedding can be intermittent. Uh, and you don't want to be responsible for making sick, even if you're giving away eggs. If somebody gets sick, they're not going to be very happy with you, and you're not going to be very happy with yourself for having provided them with something that made them ill. Definitely not. Now, I, I don't want to uh, jump ahead. You may be talking about this. I'm just go brainstorming and thinking of questions that these new backyard keepers uh, would want to know and maybe even experienced ones as well kind of related to this outbreak and then salmonella in general, but I know a lot of people are going, okay, I just bought these four-day-old, five-day-old baby chicks in this brooder from the feed store. Where did they get it? And and they're like, did it come from, from mom and dad? Did it come from the breed the, um, breeding flock through, through the egg? Did, did, could it have come from when they were packing them up out of the incubator, the hat? Where, so that's a big question. On, How on, did on they the get now. infected? Where did these five-day-old baby chicks get uh, this? Uh, all these these four different strands, uh, types of salmonella. So salmonella well, is really clever. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Andy. Possibly get it. I know we, we possibly not, yeah. Possibly. I mean, we have no crystal ball, folks. <laughs> okay. So salmonella is really cool because it can it can either be passed from the mama hen to the baby chick. And so the, the egg that mama hen lays is already infected with salmonella, and when the baby chick hatches out, it's already infected with salmonella. So as the embryo is growing inside the egg, it's already contaminated with salmonella. Okay. And 
it's sitting in a nice, warm, moist incubator, and as soon as it hatches out, it can spread it to every other chick that's hatched out. And that would be horizontal transmission within an incubator. Okay, that quickly between. Okay, so that that quickly that that quickly it it can it can spread to. So you have they they a lot of times they'll take the the eggs out of the incubator, put them in a hatcher. There's thousands of them there. Uh, Some birds hatch out, and and the next six hours before they're actually pulling them out and putting them in boxes to ship, uh, they can as they're as they're pooping. Uh, other birds peck on that. The baby, or, or baby even even too. from the 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 fluff that floats around in there. Okay, got um, it, got it. So okay. there's there's vertical transmission from the mother hen. There's horizontal transmission inside the hatchery, either from the chicks that are contaminating potentially contaminating an entire incubator full of of other chicks, or okay. it might be some surface in the hatchery although they do test for these quite often, it might be a conveyor belt that wasn't cleaned properly between flocks. Or it might be um, it might be that inside the, the hatcher, um, a chick hatched out, but it didn't contaminate the rest of the birds in the hatcher. But in the box that's being used to transport chicks to this, that, or the other person's house, that's when cross-contamination between chicks occurs. That's also horizontal transmission. Um, if if the if the hatchery has a rodent problem, um, we talk about rodent control measures in your flocks, but shoot, if hatcheries have rodent control measures, so should you. Um, feed mill, that could be a source of contamination once the chicks get to your house. Uh-huh. Or um, if you provide them with mash feed, um, mash feed is not heat treated or pelletized. So therefore, salmonella could be on one of the ingredients. Uh, so every batch of feed needs to be tested, and feed that is not um, that tests positive should not make it to you. Um, doesn't mean that they catch it every time, but that's why I encourage people to use crumble feed instead of mash yeah. feed on and that they waste mash feed at like three or four times the rate of crumble feed. So, uh, and you know, when I spend money on what the chickens actually eat the food. Um, other things that can happen is in, in the feed store or some other location where you have a large number of chicks and people coming in, if they have chickens of their own at home and those chickens, um, have salmonella and those people track it into that store um, they could pick up a baby chick that you later on buy and perhaps through transmission that way a chick could turn positive so there's all these really cool ways that salmonella has to get around and once it's in your birds it's up to you to manage them in such a way that you don't spread it now of course there are people who are like, well, how am I going to know if Henny Penny has salmonella? Well, you can test them, or you can just assume they have it and act oh. accordingly using good biosecurity and good management skills. That's, so that's if you don't want to test and find out, just assume that they have it. That was a question. Yeah, I knew there would be a question. I'm like, oh, I should have asked uh, Dr. Nichols this. Um, the, and and you, can, you may be able to answer it as well, is that, 
Um, like back in August or September of last year, um, CDC comes back with their end bulletin, I think she called it or something like that, where, we, where this outbreak is over. Yeah. And um, so um, I, don't, I didn't get into the criteria of why they deem it's over, but, but um, so what happens to salmonella? I mean, these, these chickens are still in, infected or chances are when they're older, uh, or maybe like it, it was put, it was mentioned on the radio show last year that the baby chicks get into those teenage years, we call them, and they kind of don't look real pretty and they're going through their molds and they're not really cute and cuddly anymore. And they're pooping a lot. And we're like, okay, I'm, I'm done cuddling and holding you and, and caressing you. And all you're, you're now you're going to the backyard. Maybe that's why it kind of slowly dissipates are when they get to an adult, they're adults, they're outside, they're not inside, they're not cuddling, they're not, you know, that type of thing as, as much because some people still do. Um, or is, or does the... Or, or has older... human behavior changed? Is that, that's part of what you're saying? Human behavior changes as the birds stop yeah. being cute and cuddly? Because my understanding is that these birds, um, or maybe it's not my understanding, would have this uh, the salmonella for life, or does it just kind of, they grow out of it, it goes away? It uh, depends. It, 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 Every bird is different. Okay. Every bird is different. Some birds may be able to clear it from their system. Some birds may carry it for forever. It could be that um, they infect the rest of your flock or they never infect the rest of your flock. Not Mm -hmm. quite as likely, given that chickens eat each other's feces. So um, there's also a chance that you never got chicks that have it. Um, Your flock is completely clean, but then a wild bird brings it in. And then they shed it. So it, it it is constant testing that takes place with regard to the flocks that are raised commercially because they are always challenging themselves with the question is, is today the day that we're going to come back with a positive, what is our action plan? Because they all have all their action plans written down. What are we doing for prevention? What are we doing for prevention? What are we doing for prevention? Uh-huh. And if that's their major time investment and you're not doing that, your behaviors are a higher set of risk behaviors. It's it's higher risk behavior on your part. And since uh-huh. we did say that, you know, because people say, what, what are the symptoms? How do, how do I know? And can I get them tested? And it's, uh, the birds that are carrying this salmonella may be shedding it either inside the egg or in their feces on the outside of the egg or in their feces in the yard or the coop or the run, is that they can appear perfectly healthy, show no signs. So uh, kind of like as a paramedic, you treat all patients as, as, as they had some type of disease right. uh, by gloving up and whatnot, uh, PPEs. And so you would treat your flock as if uh, using biosecurity as as if they did, like you said earlier, have have salmonella by washing your hands and foot baths and not bringing and them using inside. good biosecurity, yeah, exactly. And and exactly. if you want that security of of not having to do all that, then test them every day. <laughs> I know, and you and I both know. I mean, it's, it's common, you know, it's, it's, that the average uh, again, I'll stereotype here: the soccer mom with eight hens in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, and uh, we kind of fit into that category many years ago. Um, uh, so I, can, I feel like I can use that stereotype. Let's face it, they're, they're probably They're not, not going to want to do that. To, uh, okay, so yeah. maybe not every day. Then <laughs> test them weekly or monthly. If that's the kind of peace of mind that you want, 
Test them weekly or monthly. Or think, do all the preventative steps. And I'll go, on, I'll go out on a limb here and say that that's probably not going to happen. But let's say they just wanted to test them one time. We know that there's the possibility because they don't shed it all the time. They could come back to the positive, and then you kind of maybe have a false security because well, that, they, that day I took the test, they may not be shedding it, but next week they are. So there's no, I guess, 100%. I think still the best thing is to, again, implement those biosecurity practices, wash right. your hands. Don't Good management them. practices and biosecurity plans. Yep. So mm-hmm. you've you've got folks who are um, who are probably after listening to you many years, Andy. They've already put into place everything that they feel comfortable putting into place. They've they've done some heavy lifting when it comes to looking at what they're doing critically and their willingness to make change. That's that's the big deal. It's the the bigger danger are the folks that you don't know what their commitment is to keeping their flock well. And it's not so much that that um what you're doing is is right and perfect. You just want to stay away from folks who don't care. And they don't care enough to do it right and therefore, you know what? Maybe you don't need to go to their house, or maybe you don't need to to um, to shake hands with them at uh, your weekly meetup group because every year they get CRD. You know, that's you know you're talking about human behavior here because we know pretty much what the bug's gonna do once it gets into a bird. It's the people factor that's the hard, hard, hard part. And those folks who are willing to make the changes and do the work, um, not only do they have wonderful pets or livestock that they enjoy or perhaps make a profit from, but they've they've known that they've safeguarded um, those around them in the community as well, and they're willing to do what it takes. It's I the folks who don't I... care that worry me. Right. And they're by and after, large the majority sometimes. <laughs> after I posted this uh outbreak yesterday, uh when I received the information from C D C um where was I have here? Um Oh, oh the people who immediately did the kickback. Well, I yeah, don't well, I don't ever do that. Awesome. Great, thanks. Stay away from me. Yeah, I, exactly. I've had you know and I I was sharing this with Doctor Nichols, uh, I think it was actually before the outbreak was even this was maybe earlier in the week before it even came out. I was talking about her like I often when I'm teaching um, the workshops and things and on the, on the podcast that look, we, you know, we try to keep it as realistic as possible. I understand if you're 80, you've had chickens all your life and you've never had salmonella. You you think this is hogwash, but if you had a six-year-old daughter in the hospital, uh, deathly ill because of this, that survived, you know, then it, this is a very serious topic to you. I think it's based on your life experiences, how seriously you take this. But I, I actually um, got the next statement for uh, a new program we, we started last month called Back ourchickenpoop.com. You've been you participated in that, and mm-hmm. so scientists up at uh, Farid, um with the drug residue uh, group up there, they they participated in one of these. And and here's the and and I'll, I may send this actually to Dr. Nichols and uh, our, our KC uh, uh, Bervesh, who who is also at CDC. I'm good friends with. 
And uh, here it is and for you too, uh, Dr. McRae. Salmonella exposure in small quantities actually builds our immunity to it. Um, that's and so that would be the, that's a statement that this young lady made, as if it's 100% truthful, scientific based, the whole nine yards. And it may or may not be. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. So I'm going to take that statement that she made as if it were to be she thinks it's true, and I'll send it to you, or I'll send it to Dr. Nichols, and 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 within that couple of paragraphs, nothing technical like the magazine kind of respond to that but on air here if she was there in front of you know salmonella exposure in small quantities actually builds our immunity to it i'm not a scientist i don't know if that's even close to being true or not no it's not oh my goodness (laughs) i think back to the I don't know if I told this to you, but it's not salmonella that I'm talking about, but it's E. coli 0157H7. <laughs> you know, the, the one that caused all the, the hamburger outbreaks and, and okay. you know. Uh-huh. Remember when that first came out? I don't know. It must have been like 20, 20, 20 or so years ago, 25 years ago. Um, yeah, they found out that 10 organisms is all it takes to make you sick and kill you. So this whole small quantities thing, I'm not buying what you're selling. I mean, I could pick that apart, and I, I, I'll i gladly pass off my opinion to someone else and let somebody else tackle that one. But, you know, it's just... Andy, I don't know if it's the internet that people feel that they can they can spread things as as the truth, but when you talk to someone person to person, they tend to formulate their responses or their questions a little bit more carefully, and that which is opinion becomes evident versus you can't quite tell that in a blog or uh, in an email or something like that. Um, for yeah, example, uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, had a workshop on Monday, had a gentleman who was, who was in his uh, early 80s, I believe, and uh, he said, uh, well, I know avian influenza is coming, but I'm not going to put a roof over my 10 by 20 space. And I said, why not? And he says, uh, that's just too big a space. And I said, they make 10 by 20 tarps. Mm-hmm. And it was because I challenged him and provided him with a solution. He's just not willing to do the work. He came up with every possible mm-hmm. excuse just to save face in that circumstance. And I could tell his wife sitting next to him had just about had it with him, and they were going to have a conversation in the car on the ride home. <laughs> I, I knew when I posted this that I would immediately get um, several um, folks posting um, uh, the conspiracy theories that, oh, this is just another um, uh, situation, the strong arm of the government to take our chickens away. Prove it. I'm like, well, my response, uh, Dr. McCray, was, you know, there's been salmonella outbreak. They have a poster that, that shows the salmonella outbreaks over the years. And I'm like, well, really, when do you think they're going to get around to doing that? Because uh, I'm looking at some outbreaks that happened back in the 80s, and so if that was really their intent, don't you think after 20 years they would have done it by now? So just things like and, and no matter what 
you apply with, you're not changing these people's no. minds. I don't care. Well, I don't care no. what it is. So you don't but really if people don't want to do things right, I mean, I guess that's the best possible way to prove that your conspiracy theory is right. Because if you if you kill enough people, they're just going to say, nope, no more backyard flocks. It'd be pretty yeah, severe, that. but that's that's pretty much the way to confirm your your theory is do everything that you possibly can to harm the human race, and they're going to start telling you no, no, no. I remember this from last year when we had the salmonella outbreak, and I asked you and Dr. Pitsky and Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, and the other uh, poultry scientist we had on who actually called in from Saudi Arabia. Or Egypt. Yeah, poultry veterinarian. Yes. Yeah. And and that question was. Um, uh, and, and again, it's, it was a myth that everybody posts on Facebook, and it was again posted yesterday. Um, what's the big deal? All chickens have salmonella in their gut. They all shed it, so just use precaution. And, and that, and that, uh, no, they don't. No, no, that's not true. They do not all have salmonella. And, and, and of course, y'all, all of y'all responded on the phone, I think, at the same time, like going, no, no, they don't. <laughs> so that was a myth that people like to share on the Facebook page. All the craziness of the internet. Um, just Andy, if you wanted to direct people to the E Extension Backyard Poultry website, you can do that. I don't have um, Blog Talk Radio's um, mm-hmm. window up right now, mm-hmm. but if people just go to www.extension.org/poultry, that'll take you to the. Um, website that has just a plethora of webinars that have been recorded and saved on this topic, fact sheets, good management practices, and definitions that I hope folks understand are all science-based. All are put out there by Extension Poultry Specialists, or extension poultry veterinarians, folks who want you to be able to find science-based information on the Internet um, rather than opinion. Give us that website one more time. www.extension, so that's E-X-T-E-N-S-I-O-N dot org, that's O-R-G, slash poultry. Okay, great. And, of course, the CDC website, if you want to get information about the current information about this current outbreak, uh, it's all there at cdc.gov, and then you can search uh, salmonella, current salmonella outbreaks. It takes you right over to, to that page. I'm going to ask one more question, and then I, ha- I have a coop that I need to give away. Um, but oh, I'd like to coop. Yeah, yeah, hey. You can give one to me. Here's a, an interesting question. I think it's very <laughs> relevant. Someone had posted, uh, let me see if they asked, uh, let, me, let me get down here to the question here. Um, oh, here we go. Um, and I think it was a legitimate question. Is, um, something about MPIP testing, I don't see it right now. But, um, and there was an excellent article from uh, written by the director, the the head doctor at, uh, um, who runs the, the MPIP, who I met face to face. She wrote an article in the this last, the current issue, the summer issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine about the MPIP. What and when's is that issue going to come out? It's out. It's been out for about a month. Oh, oh. <laughs> I haven't gotten mine in the mail yet. Okay. 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 And and so um, 
the uh, and talks about what it is and what it isn't. We even talk face to face about how um, uh, Snickers a little bit about she, I'm MPIP certified. No, you're not. There's no certification. Um, you don't get certified and, and do little things like that. But um, the, in this particular case, uh, MPIP um, again two uh, two thousand different types of, of salmonella, and in most cases. Uh, the, the two tests that they do, if you just kind of participate in that basic MPIP plan, doesn't it's just the Salmonella um, and the um, what is this? Tesalorum and Typhomerium. Yeah. Yep. And then there was one more thing, but but that's it. And those are chicken basically disease. Not it's going to infect human like like these strands or types of Salmonella. So um yeah they're MPIP. testing for for um the type of organisms that affect the chicks so that it used to be back in the the 20s 30s and 40s or something like that you would you would order chicks and you know if they came from breeders that were infected you might have chicks that were dead by the next day or within the first week and nobody really likes that to flush that kind of money down the toilet so they test those breeder flocks. Now, the strains that we're talking about, Indiana, Hadar, Munchen, Aniridus, those are um, food safety strains. Actually, Aniridus is more the food safety strain. Um, but those, you know, Salmonella typhi is the one that causes human typhoid fever. And that's not something that you'll usually find in chickens, but uh, paratyphy um, or Hadar or Kentucky or Heidelberg, those are all strains that have been associated with um, foodborne illness. And they don't test for those in NPIP hatcheries. Um, that well, that's important for people to realize that that fault maybe having that fault security. Oh, I'm MPIP. My my birds are clean of this, and that's couldn't be further from from the truth. You can it's, still cross contaminate within your own home, and mm-hmm. you know they don't have they don't necessarily have um, you know a test for all two thousand for mm-hmm. these hatcheries. So hey, um, I'm going to um, go to commercial break, but you on hold here when I come back. Uh, I'm going to try to call uh, the winner of the June Ultimate Chicken Coop Contest live on the air. They may or may not pick up. They still win the coop, but we've been been doing this for seven years. Uh, I've given away more chicken coops than anybody on the planet, thanks to our awesome sponsors. And so uh, it's about a 50-50 uh, hit or miss. Sometimes they'll pick up, sometimes they won't. Uh, and so we're going to try that. Uh, so uh, stay with us, and we'll be back <laughs> right after this uh, short break. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. 
a portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at one 800 720-1134. Remember, that's StrombergsChickens.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com and try Love Nest organic blends for your backyard friends today. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you are passionate about your backyard chickens. 
visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today. Uh, before we get to the, the contest, I do want to say thank you very much to uh, both uh, Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., for joining us and, and, and um, talking about the specifics of, of salmonella. And, then of course, uh, uh, Dr. Coles with uh, the CDC, thank her very much for, for coming on today and giving us an update about the current outbreak. I will do my job and make sure that I keep you all up to date on any updates I get from the CDC on this current outbreak. And uh, we will uh, follow that like we do uh, all important news regarding backyard poultry. So, Dr. McCray, I brought you back live. Um, and uh, I'm going to go to the phone line. Sometimes, again, calling out from the switchboard. We don't do it every episode. Sometimes it has its hang-ups. But I'm going to try this uh, very quickly here. Give me just a second. I've got to get the uh... – oh, hang on. Like I said, you there, Doc? Yep. Okay, good deal. Let me hang on just a second. Let me find – it would help to get the phone number here. <laughs> I, did, I did put it in a Word document to, to save, but sometimes I can't um... – okay. Let's go see if they may or may not pick up the phone. So, and uh, let's see if we can call out on the switchboard, but I don't do it often, so let's uh, trial and error here. Good luck. Here we go. Yes, maybe they will pick up. <laughs> if you're out there listening, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Twice, just in case. You know, I'm not going to get that. I don't recognize the number. <laughs> Surely this person knows all has been Okay, so I'm going to try that again. It obviously was forwarded to a, a voicemail, so I'm going to try to call one more time. Like I said, they do not have to. That's not a part of the rules. Uh, it's just something that we, we have fun with and try to do. And I will announce the winner here if they don't pick up uh, this time. So I'm going to try it one more time and see if they'll... It's not my phone that's ringing, folks. That's... <laughs> yeah, everybody out there listening is like, oh, it must not be me. My phone's not ringing. <laughs> We've had a lot of people over the... Okay, let's see here. Now, it says it's dialing, but I don't hear it ringing, so... Okay, we'll try this again here in just a second. Maybe it takes a moment to reset itself. Yeah, maybe so. Okay. Um, I'm going to try again. Okay, let's see what happens. Did you hear anything, Dr. McRae? No, I did not. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to try it one more time, and then we got to go because I'm running out of Running out You're of running out of show. <laughs> running out of show, yep. Hang on just a second. Um, and then I'll try one more time. Let me let it clear off the switchboard here. And I'll just announce that it went. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. I hope everybody has an absolutely wonderful um, uh, holiday weekend, Independence Day, July 4th. And uh, we should return this coming Monday 
with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. So that'll be uh, this Monday. I'm going to try this one more time, then I'll announce the winner. And uh, see what happens. Doesn't seem like it wants to ring. Uh-uh. I'm going to try one more thing over here. I'm actually going to refresh the entire switchboard page and see if that happens. There we go. Now let's try this again. There we go. Hope they pick There's up. Enough. Yeah, let's try it. Now watch your phone's ringing like 16 times in a row. And we, <laughs> we can't hear it. <laughs> yeah, well, it worked out one time, but it's not working now. Okay, so no no worries. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and announce the winner, and then we'll post it on Facebook, and I'll try to call her off the air. But the winner of the June Ultimate Chicken Coop Contest, sponsored by SnapLockChickenCoops.com, uh, it is the larger coop that they manufacture, is Angela Ailey of Jonesboro, Tennessee. So Angela Bailey of Jonesboro, Tennessee. I will try to call. Uh, congratulations to you. You are the big winner of the June Ultimate Chicken Coop Contest, again, sponsored by snaplockchickencoops.com. And uh, we hope to have another coop here in the next uh, contest in the next month or two. So, Dr. McCray, thank you very much for tuning in to, or joining us today. Uh, thank expert, you for doing uh, such a timely topic. Thank you. Your expertise is always welcomed. And, again, another thank you to uh, Megan Nichols with the CDC Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, talking about the current for this year. And um, that's going to wrap up another episode of Back Home Boxes. Again, I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful holiday weekend, and we'll see you back here Monday with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. God bless everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.